You're listening to a Sharesies podcast. Tēnā tato katoa, it's Tuesday the 8th of March. This is Recap brought to you by Sharesies. Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create financial empowerment for everyone. Here's the disclaimer. Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. Uh, Now you might have heard uh, someone different in the studio today. Alice is away today and uh, Helen is filling in. G'day Helen. Nice to be here Jose, especially on International Women's Day. Um, There's so much happening on this front. And to celebrate, be sure to head over to Shezzy's Instagram Live with co-founders Brooke and Sonia with special guest Jessie Wong, who's the founder and director of You May. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I'm going to head over straight after recording this. Thanks very much for uh, jumping on Recap today, Helen. Appreciate it. No worries. Okay, lots to go through. Let's crack on. As the war in Ukraine wears on, it's becoming more and more clear just how far-reaching its effects are. For example, Russia and Ukraine are some of the biggest agriculture producers in the world. Russia in particular is a key exporter of nutrients and other material used in fertilizers. Actually, accounts for a quarter of important nutrients used in food production in Europe. The Norwegian company Yara International, which is one of the biggest producers of nitrogen fertilizer, says high fertilizer prices could get even worse because of the war. The Yara CEO Sven Torholstetter told the BBC that half the world's food production gets food using fertilizer, and if supply is hampered and removed from the field, crop yields could drop by 50%. He said the world must reduce its dependency on Russia for global food production. Also earlier this week, the International Grain Council warned that countries that rely on affordable wheat exports from Ukraine could experience shortages from July. Both Ukraine and Russia account for nearly a third of the world's wheat and barley exports. If the war continues, it's expected that countries like Egypt will be the most affected, where millions rely on subsidised bread made with Ukrainian grains. In fact, last week, Europe, uh, excuse me, last week Egypt cancelled two orders one for overpricing and the other because of a lack of companies offering to sell. So with that brewing away and other aspects of the war affecting just about every part of the global economy, what have the markets been doing, Helen? Okay, so starting with the US, the Dow Jones lost nearly 800 points on close, pulled down by an almost 8% loss in American Express shares. The S&P 500 dipped, nearly hitting a 3% decline, and the Nasdaq Composite lost 3.6%, closing in what they call a bear territory, which is when stocks fall at least 20% from their high. In Australia, the ASX 200 dipped 0.3%, and that was mainly dragged down by energy shares, which all clumped together to fall 2.1%. And closer to home, the NZX50 index also fell, dipping after opening by 1.09%. As indicated earlier, International Women's Day is really gaining momentum. Not only are there lots of events, but there are a number of reports out this week which crunch the data. Sadly, they do make a bit of depressing reading. So what do we know about the way gender inequality is affecting world economies? 
Well, there is a picture emerging. A report by investment bank Citigroup suggests that achieving gender parity in business growth could boost global gross domestic product, often known as GDP, by as much as $2 trillion or 2.3%. Another key figure the report offers is that gender equality could also generate between 288 and 433 million jobs. In summary, City says closing the gender gap could drive economic growth, which is what we really need right now. Yeah, but hang on. I, I Didn't I see data recently that said female-led businesses had a better return than male-led? You're not hallucinating, Jose. That's yep. good to know. <laughs> data that city quote says female-led businesses get 78 cents revenue for every $1 spent and male-led businesses just 31 cents. And yet there's still this perceived higher risk of investing in female-led businesses by venture capitalists. City thinks some of the risk is due to the fact that VCs are predominantly men. In other words, they make up women make up fewer than 5% of VCs. And also because investors who put their money with VCs also tend to be men, whereas women tend not to be in roles where they invest. So does City suggest any solutions? Yes, it makes some recommendations for financial institutions, and these include VC firms collecting gender disaggregated data on investment portfolios. It wants them to update their investment instruments to have a more of a female lens. It wants them to ensure startup incubators are more inclusive. And finally, it wants to set targets for the inclusion of women when investing. Mm. And back home in New Zealand, are there any insights on gender inequality and particularly in relation to finance? Yep, there's a range of reports which highlight how women end up being disadvantaged. ASB Bank has found that while working from home and flexible working is supported, that women take on most of the domestic chores. So they end up being disadvantaged not just at home, but also at work. And when it comes to property ownership, CoreLogic research finds women are slightly behind men, which means they don't reap the benefits of the recent wealth gains in real estate. And according to pay equity group Mind the Gap, 47 large employers still have pay gaps for women. Mm, are there any answers in the making? Yes, one suggestion by work-based learning organisation Competence is that to help redress the gender imbalance, more women should enter trades. Tony Christie, the GM, says women are still significantly unrepresented in this field. And the barriers are included are things like not having suitable working environments for women, and they think they've got to adapt to a very male-dominated culture. And finally, as we're all about investing, um, so are there some good female role models to follow? Livewire Markets in Australia has put a list together of the 10 most followed female investors. These include Jun Bei Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners, Kate Howitt, a fund manager with Fidelity International, and Catriona Burns from Wilson Asset Management. Great. Thank you very much, Helen. Uh, to finish off recap today, I thought we'd look at a story involving activist investing and that purveyor of very soft towels, bed, bath and beyond. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so this involves an investor by the name of Ryan Cohen. Cohen was heavily involved in the GameStop short squeeze of 2021. Remember 2021, Helen? Feels like 18 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But how was Cohen part of the GameStop thing? 
So Cohen had made his fortune by selling his pet e-commerce company Chewy in 2017. Now, after buying 10% of GameStop shares, he was appointed to the board, leading a charge to radically transform the company. Now, that in part triggered a stock rally, which then resulted in a short squeeze. Yes, and basically what happened is a whole bunch of investors, hedge funds mainly, had bought GameStop shares because it was underperforming. That essentially made bets that would continue to decline in price. Yep, but then a whole bunch of, I guess you could call them contrarian investors, mainly driven by discussions on Reddit, started buying up shares. And as the share price went up, the short sellers, those hedge funds that had bet against GameStop shares rising, had to start selling their shares to limit their losses. And that forced more short sellers to offload their shares and the whole thing cascaded so fast that at its height, GameStop shares reached $500 US a share. Just a month earlier, a share was worth $17.25. And that brings us back to Cohen and Bed Bath Beyond. In a, letter to, excuse me, in a letter to the company's board, he said he'd bought a 10% stake in the company. He went on to criticise the company's current strategy and urge the company to make changes. He said Bed Bath and Beyond was struggling to navigate price declines and supply chain disruptions and that the company leaders were overpaid in relation to the company's performance. Mm, seems like a forthright chap. So um, how did the board take that? Very evenly. In response, the company said it would carefully review his letter, and they hope to constructively engage around his ideas. So how did Bed Bath & Beyond's share price react? Well, at one point it got as far as a 40% increase before settling down to $21.71. That is a 34% jump from opening on Monday US time. And that was Recap for the 8th of March. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love you to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Our email is recap at sharesies.co.nz. And you can also leave a voice message. There's a link in the episode description. Absolutely. We'll see you tomorrow. Matewa.